We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. This week on the Garage Beers Podcast, it is episode 74, and it's a big-time hockey week. Joining us this week to talk everything from the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken to this weekend's NHL draft, where the Columbus Blue Jackets have not one, not two, but three first-round picks. It's former Blue Jackets forward and current development coach for the Blue Jackets, Mark Letestu. So come on up the driveway, pull out your favorite lawn chair, crack open a cold one, and join us for Garage Beers. And welcome on in, everybody, to episode 74 of the Garage Beers podcast. Go find us online at the Garage Beers on every freaking social media thing you can find. We are proudly coming to you here on the Belly Up Sports podcast network. Go check out Belly Up Sports and some of our awesome co-podcasts over there on the Belly Up Sports podcast network. We love being part of that group as well. With you as always, I am your host, Michael Keith. Find me online at Garage Beers Mike. And joining me as always over on the east side of and find him online at Garage Beers Chad. It's Chad Meyer. What's up, Chad? All right, boys. Celebrate my birthday tonight on the show here. Hey. I got my little noisemaker. Oh, yeah, it is kind of. God, oh, look at that. Life is good in the last year of my 20s, boys. Where'd you find a traffic cone with uh, confetti be, on it? Uh, well, I strapped a rope to it, and it just fit on my head. It's weird. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can we can we talk about what? how old you just said you were? 29. 29. Last year of my 20s. Let's go. <laughs> now, when you say 29. Plus what, 10. What, what is the multiple factor there? Plus 10, 29, <laughs> yeah, 29 and then some listen, physically, I feel every bit of my age, but uh, mentally I'm still 21. So uh, we're just going to have some fun. Uh, uh, and let me tell you something, boys, uh, no matter how old you get uh, a Dairy Queen ice cream Ooh. cake on your birthday. Just yes, it's right. Yes. I do one every it's year. Right. Yes, uh, you're right. so good. Mm. I, I mean, I mean, it's it's a staple. The it's crunchy, a staple. the crunchy chocolate, yeah. and then the fudge. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. It's 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 almost America's. It should time. be. 
to have a Christ group game. It's great. A Derek Quinn ice cream cake on your birthday. So I'm, 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 I'm doing good over here, boys. Do they, do they still make them? I, like I haven't been in a Dairy Queen's in, uh, Dairy Queen in a minute. And, and I feel like, like Dairy Queen just turned into like a drive through place essentially, because like when I was growing up, Dairy Queen was just like a walk in. You always had to go into Dairy Queen to get your stuff. And then you had to look in the coolers yeah. and they always had the little mini ice cream cakes. Like they were just in a oh, cup. Yeah. Do they still have yeah. those? Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. I'm late to Dairy Queen. Though, but <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> that sounds really good at this point. Oh, Chad's birthday was this week. Uh, so if you didn't say happy birthday to Chad, get over on his social media again at Garage Pierce. Chad, say happy birthday. Happy to Chad. birthday, Chad. Make him feel better. See if you can't Thank grow you. that head a little bit. Oh, or maybe not. Uh, but yeah, the boys and I are here. We got an awesome episode coming up in just a little bit. We're going to throw it over to our interview that we conducted with former Blue Jackets player and current development coach Mark Latestu. A uh, lot of stuff going on with hockey this week. So great time to have a hockey guest on uh, with the expansion draft, the NHL draft, and just to talk a little bit of hockey. So uh, always a good time. But before we get to that interview with Mark, of course, we've got to start with our favorite segment of the week, and that is our Garage Beers of the Week. And so, hey, birthday boy, why don't Yo. you lead us off? What is your birthday garage beer, garage beer of the week? Fellas, I think I just might have drank the tastiest beer I've had, I have had on the wow. podcast. Wow. It's big talk. Yeah. Uh, this is from Boulevard Brewing Company okay. down there in Missouri. And it is the Tank 7 American Saison Ale. Saison? I don't know. Saison? 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 Is it French? Saison? Saison. Saison? Yeah. Uh, fruity aromatics, citrusy balance, and dry and hoppy perfection. It is Ooh. honestly, uh, again, like I said, the tastiest beer outside of some of the stouts I had, I've had. But it is one of the tastier beers I've ever had on this podcast, and I highly recommend it. Saison from Boulevard Saison. over there in Missouri for Chad. Let's send it down to Nashville. Joey, what's your garage beer of the week this week? I was looking at the can while Chad was talking, and it's funny because like anytime I grab a Tennessee beer that's not from Nashville, I have no idea where in Tennessee that these places are from. And it's like, sure. I, I feel like they're made up. This is from Alcoa, Tennessee. That doesn't sound Yeah, wrong. I've never heard of that. Good old Alcoa, Alcoa Tennessee. Anyway, like, this is Black Horse Brewery. Isn't that like water? I don't know what they have in Alcoa, but they do have a bomb vanilla cream ale is what they have. Uh, Black Horse oh, Brewery, hey. uh, vanilla cream ale. It tastes just like cream soda, but it gets you a buzz. It's delicious. Oh, God. How much Ooh. alcohol content? Um, 4.8. Modest. Modest. Okay. All right. Just a modest, light, easy drinker. Oh, yeah. You got to love that. Uh, awesome. So that brings it to me. And, boys, I'm excited for this one. Uh, walking through the grocery store the other day, I just peeked my head to the left and I see this glorious bottle just staring at my oh. face. And I think, well, shit, that's my garage beer this week. Did it wink at you? Gentlemen, this comes from Great Lakes Brewing. Mm-hmm. It is July. Yep. It is a bourbon barrel aged. Oh, God. Christmas they bottled ale. it? No. Oh, Knew they it. sure did. Look it up. Knew it. Oh, they bottled it. Can is. Barrel aged in bourbon barrels, Christmas ale to celebrate Christmas in July. Uh, and guys, it is just, oh, it's everything right in the world. 
it's it's everything that should happen in a beer it just happens in this bottle right here and it's a big bottle so you get a couple good beers out of it and and just hold on it's i'm kind of tearing up actually it makes me find jesus so what you're saying is there there literally hasn't been a month without christmas sale in 2021 (laughs) <laughs> oh, you idiots! It's a year. It's a year round. Okay, it's a year round beer. All right. All right. So that's a throwback. If you don't get the joke, Joey, I want to say like the first podcast we did in January yeah. had, uh-huh. a, had a Christmas beer on, and he was like, "Guys, it's a sad day because starting today, you can no longer find Christmas beers in any of the stores anywhere." And we were, I was looking at him like. Like this leftover Christmas beer from like Great Lakes, uh, Thirsty Dog, all these breweries, you can find them all year. Like they are just around. And here we are in July. I have seen Christmas beers in the store all ever since Christmas. And here we are in July and we've got barrel. All right. It rings true. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and well, and it's also a guarantee. Like, Mike, I've noticed because you notice how I'm a seasonal beer guy. If, yes. that, if a bottle says bourbon barrel aged on it, you are like, boom, mm-hmm. give me that one right there. Like that, yeah. that's, that's kind of your thing as well. I have uh, bourbon barrel aged, generally speaking. Yes. For me, that's yeah. just a yes, but <laughs> yeah. bourbon barrel aged. I've had other beers that are like rum barrel aged. Nah, yeah. like I can right. do without it. Like uh, we went up to the, uh, we went up to Southern tier, uh, the brewery, the actual brewery up in New York, uh, near Lake mm-hmm. Chautauqua. We went to their pumpkin festival where they release pumpkin every year. Yeah. But up there, they had a bourbon barrel aged pumpkin. Freaking insane. Delicious. Sure. Incredible. But then they had like a couple other barrel aged and one was like a rum barrel aged. And I was like, ooh, that sounds like it could be okay. Nah, not my thing. I feel uh, like no. they're hit or miss. Like I love bourbon and I love beer. I feel like some breweries do it very well. Other ones, like I just, I think it misses the mark. Like it's just not a, it's not a like the right beer for like a bourbon barrel kind of thing. If that makes sense. I get that. Yeah. Listen, uh, not everybody's good at, at, at it, but I would say for the most part, if I see a bourbon barrel aged beer, uh, like even the basic, like the Kentucky bourbon, the uh, the Kentucky bourbon ale. I love it. It's great. Yeah. Uh, I, I will drink those. So anyways, I just thought it was a very special one because it's Christmas ale and I love Christmas ale and it's barrel aged. Give me that. Beautiful. And it lives up to the hype. So if you see it, if you're in Cleveland and you're in the grocery store, I don't know if they still have it at Great Lakes. I know they sold out of it, but I don't know if they restocked. But if you're in the store, liquor store, grocery store, and you see it, pick it up. It is awesome. So those are our garage beers of the week. Get online. Tell us what your garage beers are this week. What are you drinking as we prepare for the NHL draft this weekend, the NBA draft next week? Uh, and obviously, we're right in the middle of baseball season. So Now, with that being said, to you guys here on the podcast, cheers. To you listening, cheers. And now we're just going to send it straight in to a most excellent interview that we had with former Columbus Blue Jackets uh, forward and current development coach Mark Letestu. And now we are really excited to be joined uh, by yet another special guest here on the Garage Beers podcast, another special guest from the Columbus Blue Jackets, where he has returned home to the Blue Jackets recently. He spent parts of six seasons here in Ohio with the Blue Jackets and even the Cleveland Monsters. He is now a player development coach announcing his retirement towards the end of 2020. Uh, So we're going to talk to him about uh, his coaching role as well. We're really excited to be joined by Mark Letestu. Mark, welcome to the Garage Beers podcast. 
pumped to be in the garage. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Where literally I'm, none of us are. <laughs> right. Right. You, I used to be, but uh, one of the things I forgot to mention, Mike, is uh, that Mark is going to be appearing uh, this Friday at the Blue Jackets draft party on July 23rd. And if you fans play your cards right, Mark might shoot some mustard packets with you, uh, maybe some ketchup packets, uh, some relish packets. I don't even know, but uh, that is a, a one trend I caught on, Mark, uh, is shooting some mustard packets. Where did that even come from? Yeah, that, that's a rough one. If you're going to go viral for anything in your career, uh, the one thing I ever went viral for. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm a terrible cramper. Uh, when it came to sports, just lose a lot of, a lot of water and, when I was in Edmonton, we'd pickle juice, which is kind of, again, maybe something you've heard of, maybe something you hadn't, but I yelled down. It's the good bench with whiskey. Winnipeg. Yeah. Right. It just doesn't work as well. <laughs> but the, uh, yelled down the bench in Winnipeg. I think it was my second exhibition game and asked they had pickle juice and uh trainer at the time says, Nope, but the guys here like mustard. <laughs> so I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, mustard? He's, right. like, he's like a packet of mustard. They take it goes away. So I said, okay, throw it down here. The first time I'd ever done it, caught on camera phone blew up i am now the mustard guy so dude oh yeah. my god so you mean to tell me like after a workout i just need to shoot some mustard and like not drink the gatorade the water like there's no there, need to do any of that there's somebody much smarter than me that will give you the science on it but i guess it has something to do with the vinegar and it does i i took the mustard it, it did clear up the wow. cramps uh, I think there were some sponsorship opportunities I left on the table. A few delis had sent me some mustard. So it was, uh, it was an interesting time to go viral. Yeah. I love it. I was, we like, we sent some stuff out there like, Hey, we're having Mark Letestu on anybody have any good questions. And like, literally our buddy from six, one, four hockey down there, Matt Pfeffer was like, you got to ask him about the mustard. I'm like, my dude, that's first thing on the list. I think is the mustard yeah. packets. We got to talk mustard packets. Smell, smelling salt, sm smelling salt to wake you up. Mustard to get rid of cramping. Hockey has all kinds of tricks. I like this. Yeah, there's, no, there's a few. I mean, if they put you guys behind the curtain to really see what goes on in the room, probably blow your mind. Mustard's probably the most tame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, listen. no, no, we're not getting anybody in trouble here. Yeah, you right, got right. You got a job now. You got a job now, Mark. You are you are a coach now. Uh, so it's been a hell of a year for you, right? Like. You announced your retirement at the end of 2020, um, and it didn't take long for you to obviously get back into the NHL. Uh, what were, first of all, let's talk, just talk about uh, 36 years old, calling it a career. What were the emotions like for you after playing for the Penguins, playing for the Jackets, the Oilers, uh, a little short stint with the Jets there? Like, What were the emotions like saying, you know what, this is it for my playing career? Well, I think he's – I mean, I was – I could tell, uh, you know, whether mm – -hmm. Uh, free agency came around. The phone really wasn't ringing. Uh, it was getting tougher for me to get work in the league. And I, and I knew my skills were, were where they had been. Uh, and then that last year with Winnipeg, end up uh, six games in, end up with myocarditis. Something I'd never heard of, wow. but uh, you know, you go through the process and inflammation of the heart and basically get shut down for the year. Uh, yeah. So at that point, I kind of, and you know, to the Jets' credit of the organization, they were awesome. They sent me home right away. They said, you know, you get a small family. There's no sense in you being here away from them. So I got to be in Columbus basically from November on uh, and really get a kind of a quick glimpse into what retired life would be like if I could uh, reacclimate into my own family life and be a part of the routine. <laughs> and 
uh, you know, and I, I kind of liked it. And I knew that if I was going to play again, I'd have to go away from them. Uh, so the decision to retire was, was pretty easy. The combination of, of my diminishing skills, nobody wanted me to play anymore and me liking being around my family. Uh, and then yeah. having a discussion with Yarmo shortly thereafter about what future could be with the Blue Jackets really, really probably helped my decision making. Because I think when you're any player or any person looking to, to quit the current job they're in, always what's next is going to play on your mind. And, and having some conversation with him kind of put that at ease for me. Yeah. Now, does now did the wife roll over in bed in the morning and go, "What the hell are you doing here?" <laughs> yeah. No, you know or how she enjoyed it. Yeah, it became. You're almost in the way, to be honest. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Their their lives, my wife, my children, their school routines, their sports routines. They're used to me not being around, and they 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 got an efficient way of doing stuff. And when I'm in there throwing a wrench into things, it doesn't always uh, it doesn't always go smoothly. So. I'm starting to find my place, starting to stay out of the way, uh, and everybody's a little happier. Yeah, as somebody who is constantly around this house, man, there's so many words of advice of just, but like you just said, just stay out of the way is just a great way to look at it. As much as you can just be off in the woods by yourself, perfect. This is it. And I'm hoping we extend this a little bit longer because I'll stay out of the way just long enough for them to go to bed, and then I can come in when that's all done. So. Oh, perfect! Hey, we got yeah, you back. Yeah. We're here for you, Mark. <laughs> we, we got plenty. Of, we got we got plenty of stuff to talk to you about. Man. Perfect. <laughs> your wife is babysitting your kids. We are babysitting you. We've got you covered. We will keep you here long enough, Mark. That I is our pledge to you. I appreciate that. Uh, so, how do you acclimate? Have you always like? Was it a thing you you always kind of thought you might want to get into after you were done with your playing career? Was get into coaching? And how are you acclimating to that life? Because it's so different. I think I wanted to, uh, but I think at the same time, there's probably 50 to 75 guys coming out of the league that want to do the same thing. So I I knew right away that it's a highly competitive uh, position, uh, especially to stay in the NHL. So for me, uh, you're you're always, you're thinking about it. And when Yarmo came along with the opportunity, uh, I just, I jumped at it. Uh, just to, to be around the guys again, to be a part of a team, uh, to possibly share uh, some of the knowledge that, that I picked up and maybe help somebody. I think, you know, I, as I go here, hopefully I get some pretty rewarding cases to see guys and help them along the way and get them in the NHL. Now, uh, you know, that, that's actually a perfect transition into my next question, Mark, is uh, when you look back on your career, what are some of the things that you have learned, you know, some of your best learning experiences, whether, you know, you learn from, I don't know, someone, someone in your career that you feel like you can translate uh, into your coaching career and feel like you can pass on to some of these guys. Yeah. I think I've had so many unique uh, positions that I've held. You know, I, I was an undrafted guy, so I've known mm-hmm. what it's meant to, you know, marinate in the minors longer than maybe some players. Uh, you know, I've played a lot of different roles. I've been a fourth line guy, I've played on the power play with Connor McDavid. I've had to be the old guy to go back to the, to the minor leagues and, and be that guy to kind of show the way. So I've worn a lot of hats. And I think in that, when you do that, it's, it's tough not to relate to everybody in that room in some way or another, because I've lived it. Yeah. So I think for that, it'll help me along. Uh, but it's, it's right now, uh, I'm so early into it, but it seems like everybody's their own little cra- uh, code to crack. You know, everybody's <laughs> a little bit yeah. different and learning the intricacies of each guy and maybe how they learn. Uh, still going through that, but 
I mean, for me right now, that's, that's the funnest part is kind of breaking each guy down and, and seeing how they relate. And, you know, if they need to be kicked or patted on the back. <laughs> so like three to, to tack on to Chad's question through your career. And I don't want you to call anybody out by name because we're not trying to get anybody in trouble here. We're not trying to call people out, but is there anything that happened like any instances or things that a coach would do where you were like, man, if I'm ever a coach, I'm never doing that. Like what, what do you try to avoid as a coach? Yeah. I don't know if there's, there's things I ever thought of that were, you know, that I would never do. I, I think for different guys, uh, it just, it, it's not a one shoe or one size fits all. Uh, for me, I, I was always, I had to be talked to and taught and shown, uh, some guys could be hollered at, uh, and it would get them going, but some guys if you hollered at them. They'd, you know, they'd wilt, they, they'd crumble. So I never, I never went into, you know, a certain situation where a coach did something. I'm like, man, you know, I'd never do that because it may have gotten through to somebody in that room. Uh, so it, it's, it's one of those fickle things with coaching. Uh, I have a great appreciation for, for guys that can get, uh, an entire group of grown men to really, work under that same umbrella and do something special because not everybody does agree with what's going on. Uh, so when they can do that, I think it takes a special kind of leader. All right. So you're starting as a brand new coach, uh, alongside a first time NHL head coach, uh, in that, in that system, uh, with Brad Larson, a guy you're familiar with, very familiar with, uh, so uh, a lot of blue jackets fans uh, as familiar as they are with Brad Larson, they know him as his role, right? They know him as the assistant coach, uh, the, the power play guy. Give us some insight from your end into Lars. Give us uh, uh, what are your expectations of him and, and what should the fans look forward to with, with him as the head coach of the Blue Jackets? Well, I, I think the expectations are always high. Uh, and I know Brad has incredibly high expectations for himself. Uh, but I think if, if the fan base is looking uh, – for leadership. I think what he's had to deal with in his first couple months here as a head coach and how he's handled it all and how he's kind of steered the ship. Uh, if that doesn't give the fan base or the people around the organization, the confidence, I, I don't know what will, I think the way he's handled himself here early on, uh, everybody should feel good about who, who's driving the bus right now. Uh, and, and I think just the type of person he is, uh, is really come through, uh, in a different way that, than other coaches would have had to deal with this time. Now, one of the concerns with uh, Blue Jacket fans uh, going into it was, you know, he's he's been an assistant under Torts the last six years. Uh, you know, could this be, you know, Torts 2.0, which I, I, I honestly didn't understand that concern uh, to begin with because, uh, I mean, he, he's his own man. He's going to have his own different style, but – what can you say? I mean, are there similarities with him and Torch just being under him the last six years, or is he just you? You, you kind of got to let him be his own man. You got to. You got to. You, you see what I'm trying to say? Like maybe give him a give him a chance to coach a game before you got to make that comparison. Yeah, I, I don't think you're ever going to want to, as a coach. You know, if I was in his situation, I would never want to be the guy before me. I, I think. Yeah. Uh, the players would see through it as an act, and you're not your own guy. I think, I think Brad's a confident enough guy that he's going to have his own approach. Um, but that being said, I'm sure you, if you're under a coach that long, you're going to learn some stuff. You're going to see some tendencies. Yeah. You're going to see maybe where he failed, maybe where he succeeded, and you're hoping to be a better version of it. 
and as far as I'm concerned, if you're getting torched 2.0, I mean, that means it's going to be a lot of successful years ahead for the Blue Jacket. I mean, nobody's <laughs> exactly. been more successful. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so if you can take the good things that Torch has brought to the franchise and Brad can maybe improve upon them and build upon them, I think you have the makings of something special for, for the franchise. So how much does a, like a coach, a head coach, I think when you, when you talk about professional sports, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, all the professional sports, I, I'm, I don't know that it's clear. So I, I'm really interested to get your perspective as a guy who spent a lot of time in the league as a player. How much does that coach mean to that team? I, I think a lot of times fans kind of lose a track. Uh, I don't mean to sound ignorant here because I don't necessarily feel this way, but I think a lot of times fans lose track of like, oh, well, if the players are good enough, then the coach could be a, a broomstick. Uh, and, and so what does that really mean to the players in the locker room? How important is the coach to the players in the locker room? Well, I've been in certain situations, uh, where I find the team will take on the personality or the persona of the coach, whether that's direct or indirect. If the coach tends to panic in the later parts of a game, uh, tends to get emotional with officials for whatever reason, that kind of seems to bleed into the bench. If you have a, a guy back there that no matter what the situation is, a rock sticks with the plan, it's just natural that the players take the lead from the appointed leader. Uh, sometimes you're going to have older locker rooms that can kind of, you know, there's a give and take. Obviously, the locker room is right. a locker room, and there's, there's meetings after meetings. Every time the coach speaks, there's always a player's meeting after the meeting. And, and some coaches will tell you <laughs> that's the most important one. Uh, but when, when that coach is a rock and he's at the start at the front of the room and there's nothing that rattles him. Coach or teams will tend to take on that persona and, and be kind of cool under fire. So Mark, you brought this up uh, when we asked about Brad coming in and you brought up the first couple months of his tenure have been unlike anything that most coaches ever have to deal with. Uh, and obviously referring to the loss of Matisse, uh, you experienced that with the rest of the organization. And this is the guy that you knew you played with him. Uh, uh, I don't know how well you knew him, uh, but uh, one admirable thing, I think, for all of us to watch, it, it felt like the Blue Jackets really turned into a family. The organization, the fans, everybody kind of just turned into this big family. Uh, did you feel that? Do you feel that organizational when you, when you experienced such a tragic loss? And, uh, and, and did you kind of know that was the family kind of culture you were walking back into with the Blue Jackets? Yeah, I, I think maybe the curtain was a little bit lifted for the public to see how close things are and how, how that organization is taking care of their own. Um, it's unfortunate uh, that a tragedy like that uh, has to show that, but that's, I think there's a genuine care for the people that, that put the Jersey on or wear the logo or represent the organization. Uh, and I think whether it was the, the service that was beautifully done and, 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 you know, and it was just, it was, it was very admirable to see the way the team took care of the family in that time of need. And then again, for me, the unprompted kind of tribute that started at the rink. Um, I think that's, that's a hat tip to the fifth line. Uh, you know, Kibby wasn't here long to have, you know, a huge impact, but it didn't matter. He was a blue jacket. We take care of our own. And, and I think the love shown, uh, for him throughout the hockey community, but more, more specifically in Columbus that kind of gets slagged sometimes for being a hockey town, uh, to see that them come to bat for 
a, a player of their own was for me special to see because that's that's why that's why I live in the city. You know, I, I love the people, I love the Midwest, and and I thought on in in a tragic circumstance uh, they really shone brightly there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, uh, and now on a, uh, now to tr- switch things up here because that that was. It's amazing to see what that what the Blue Jacket fans and the organization did, man. That was really cool to see how close that was. But um, let's switch gears a little bit. You know, it's a special time of year for a lot of young hockey players. Uh, you know, we're going to spend this week watching a lot of the big names like Owen Power and Mason McTavish realize their dreams. You were undrafted, you know, and you kind of had to grind your way to the league. You know, talk about your what draft time was like for you and what did it mean to you when you finally got that shot with the Pens? Yeah, I mean, draft time, I I wasn't watching to watch my name. I was just, I was a fan. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I think that was that's <laughs> awesome. I think it might have been the 03 draft, maybe. That's the one where Flurry and all the yeah. all the great yeah. NHL yeah. draft. And that, I don't think it could have could have been a weak draft and I wasn't going to get picked. I was just watching as a fan. <laughs> I, think I was in high school just trying to get through the 12th grade. Uh so I, I never expected there was no disappointment not being drafted just where I was playing tier two, uh, played junior B in a, a small Alberta town. Uh, so it, it wasn't anything in my, in my grasp, uh, but I've always enjoyed the draft from afar. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy a little more up, up nice and close here, but uh, it, it, it wasn't like a chip on my shoulder to not get drafted. You know, I just went to the next level and, and tried to be good. Uh, you know, whether that was tier two, uh, I, I was pretty old going to, to university. I come out as a 21 year old freshman, which is, which is uncommon. And, and honestly just lit it up. I was a little bit older, a little bit more mature, developed and ready. And because of the year I had Pittsburgh came along with a free agent contract. And, uh, when you're already 21, uh, it's just an opportunity too good to pass up. Uh, so that, that was kind of where I, I just decided it was time. I could always finish school later, uh, which I did. But, uh, yeah, it was just such a crazy time. I think it was, I think it was nine months or 10 months between me playing tier two junior to suiting up in an American hockey league game. So it just, it happened so fast for me because of my age, uh, caught up to me my first year. Uh, but again, just kind of putting those to the grindstone and found a way to get advanced. Yeah, I was reading, I was just doing a little prep, uh, and, and, you obviously grew up playing hockey. You grew up just outside of Edmonton. We'll talk about that in a little bit because, like, we have this Edmonton connection on this podcast. You're like the third or fourth Edmonton guy we've had on this podcast. Uh, 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 but I'm reading it and I, just not really paying attention. And it was an article that was like, and then and then Mark went south of the border to play college hockey. And I was like, Mark found like a Mexican hockey league he went and played at? And then I realized that we are south of the border. Like, we are the south of the border. So... Western Michigan. Yeah. What took you to Western Michigan? Uh, they were they were all that was interested. Uh, <laughs> no, you know what? I, I had a really good year. Easy enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Deal. I, I I had my fir- first time I'd ever been on an airplane. Uh, it was my official visit to Kalamazoo. Uh, wow. And I got down there, and I mean, where I'm from, you know, I got. I'm from a hometown of 1,400 people. I go to a university town like that with facilities and. I, I just right away committed. I'm like I'm in. Might as well have been New York City. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it, and 
I had, a, I had a visit to Quinnipiac the following week and I had to call them and say, you know, like, sorry, I committed, but it, <laughs> so it was just, a, it was first up. So I, I, uh, it was a be- one of the best decisions I ever made. Uh, my parents didn't even consult. You know, I just, you I, just, went. <laughs> I just, I just committed. I, and I called my dad and said, yeah, I'm going to Western Michigan. So th- that was just how it happened. Uh, and it turned out to be a great decision and, and kind of a launching pad for me. Listen, do you need us to bring your bags down to you? You're going to stay there. You're going to leave. And I mean, the story of me going to class, I was totally unprepared. Uh, I didn't have bedding for my bed. I didn't have a laptop for the classes. I just showed up ready to play hockey <laughs> just and just, just winged it. So uh, I got down there. And <laughs> Hi, I'm Mark. I'm, I'm a hockey player, but I'm here to try to learn. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to need a pen, uh, yeah. put the stick down the car deal. You don't, you don't play school. You know, so. you yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, right. that's right. I love it. Oh my gosh. Oh, you brought up Quinnipiac. They have the, one of the coolest college hockey arenas that I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it, but if you haven't look it up, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, no, my, my best friend, uh, did go to class there it was a teammate and I ended up going to visit him, uh, that, that, uh, university got a tour of the facility and the head coach gave me a hard time and told me I was visiting six years too late. So, uh, oh, but, oh. they do have a beautiful <laughs> facility and, and I'm sure would had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. No more good things to say there. Uh, <laughs> when, so when you went and visit, when you went and visited, was it like, Oh shit, why didn't I go here? <laughs> or was it, or was it, a? Well, by then I was in the NHL, so I, I was. Oh, I was okay, okay. perfect, perfect. Yeah, was yeah, he's fine. fine. He was good. Yeah. Yeah. that's probably good. That's probably yeah. a good way to put it. But nice, uh, very beautiful up there. So, on the other end of the spectrum, for you, a lot of kids, as as Chad mentioned before, uh, as a new development coach, most likely, I don't know. Okay, let's backtrack. What's your like when they spelled out development coach to you? What's that role? For me, it's you'll see as we're talking. We're going to watch the draft here in a day or two. And we're going to have as of now, I think nine picks. Uh, eventually I'm probably going to be assigned to a few of those players. And, and I have to try and figure out where each guy fits in the NHL and try and give them a roadmap that helps them get to the next level and, and help the big club. And hopefully like any good franchise, it's wave after wave after wave of pretty polished kids coming in and helping the lineup. Yeah, it's it's funny because that's the other end of the spectrum from where you were, right? We're getting ready to watch these kids get drafted. The the Jackets have the fifth round or the fifth pick in the first round, and then they have two picks later in the first round, so three first round picks, which means we should be seeing some pretty elite level young talent coming into the organization. Uh, so, you know, from your experience, obviously you would completely relate to the guy that gets brought in undrafted uh, coming up through the monsters or uh, you know, however they're going to come up. Uh, what's your message to these guys that are coming into the to the, to the team with big time expectations. What's your message to the fifth round pick of that or the fifth overall pick, if that's who you're assigned to. Well, I think the, again, uh, the unique part of my, my journeys is I've gotten to play with arguably the two best players of our generation. I, I've gotten to see what those guys put in day in, day out. Um, you know, Sid and Connor don't show up the rink and hit the on switch and it just happens. You know, these right. guys are, these guys are incredibly driven, focused. Uh, so I can, I can tell them from those stories, but that being said, uh, there are certain qualities and, and certain uh, values that we as blue jackets have and they got to learn them. And that doesn't matter if 
your Connor McDavid or if you're the last pick in the draft or some undrifted kid out of Bonneville. Everybody has to learn uh, how to be a citizen, how to be a teammate. Uh, so those are, those are a lot of things I'm going to help with. Uh, the skill development and the skating, I mean, their coaches are going to be hands-on in Cleveland, the ones uh, in Columbus, some in their junior teams. But some of my, some of my teaching, I think, has to be how you, how you behave, how you handle yourself away from the rink and develop yourself as, as a professional. Yeah, so, uh, so how excited are you for this weekend? Uh, you know, oh. it's your, your first weekend as a coach, uh, you're again, Chad brought up blue jackets draft party. You're going to be there. You're gonna be signing some autographs, right? Uh, that's what they've advertised, uh, along with who Jared bowl and, and Derek Dorsett. And then they're also going to have like cams going to be out there and Bjorky. And, uh, so it should be a fun night Friday night, uh, at nationwide. Uh, but here's my question for you as a new coach. I think some organizations, know what's going to happen. They kind of know what direction. Uh, one thing about Yarmo is he prides himself on being unpredictable. He is an unpredictable general manager. It always feels like the direction everybody thinks they're going to go, they don't go. So are you excited to see? Like, do you have, a, do you have any insight? Do you know what they're, they're thinking of doing? Or I don't know, you would spill the beans to us anyways. But uh, I don't know. It's, what's your first weekend at the draft as a coach like? I think it's, I'm just as excited as you guys are. Uh, you know, it's funny with the, the perception that Yarmo's sitting in the office throwing dartboards, you know, and he's just <laughs> picking whoever comes up. You know, I, I think if anything, that that franchise and, and him as a as a director, they nail on the draft a lot of the time. Uh, so whether it's unpredictable or not, uh, I think you, you can have confidence in that they're going to try and in, inject some talent, uh, some energy. Uh, but I'm excited just like you are. Uh, I think you can have your your name circled and if he gets taken the pick before you, you know, so I, I think you have to be so ready to to take on a, a lot of different kids here and just be, know that you're going to try and turn them into the best possible blue jackets uh, when you get that chance. That's awesome. Just remember, again, I'm going to throw it back. Blue jackets draft party nationwide arena Friday night. It is for free. Uh, so just show up, get in there, watch the draft, go say hi to Mark, say hi to some of the other players. Get some, get some freebies. It's going to be a good time. Uh, bring it back. to. I'll be down there. I don't know if I'm going to be at the draft party yet or not, but I'm going to be in Columbus uh, on Friday night, so I'm going to try to get over there. Uh, back to you for a minute. You finally break through. You make your NHL deb- debut with the Penguins after spending some time in the minors the year after they won the Stanley Cup. Uh, so how does coming up with a team like, you know, now Sid is established, Malkin's established, Flurry, they've all won the championship. Uh, they've won the cup. How does coming up with a team like that that has such high expectations, such star power, help you as a player? Well, I think the bar is so high, I think. And that, that helps when you're pushing from the bottom. And, and that basically was my career most of the time was I had to push as a fourth-line center and push the line ahead of me. And But the ability to come in as a first-year pro and just see how those guys approach the game uh, was an invaluable learning lesson. Uh, and I mean, you, you touched on the the highlights of that roster, but there was, you know, Bill Guerin and, and Pascal yeah. Dupuy and yeah. Brooks right. Orpik. Like there, there was some really quality leadership on that team that I could lean on day in and day out. And to their credit, mm-hmm. they gave me the time of day. 
they all took time to help me along, uh, give me the lessons I needed that maybe the coaching staff, you know, didn't have time for. And that's really what a, what a locker room and a team is about. You're taking care of your own. So there, it was difficult for me to make the lineup because of how strong the roster was. But when you got there, uh, the level of play that you had to be at to stay pushed me to be better, pushed me to stay longer. Uh, so it, it was it was invaluable for me to, to come up in that organization with all the lessons that I learned. And unfortunately, uh, you know, my biggest breaks came because all those guys in him got hurt. Thanks. Yeah, right. Down with the concussion, he was gone for yes. a year. Uh, Gino tore his ACL. Stall's foot got stepped on. I was the last man standing, so I, <laughs> I, I, I had to play up the lineup where probably didn't belong, but uh, just the way it worked out. God, I was at yeah. that that he got Sid that concussion. That was the Winter Classic, right? Yeah. Uh, I was there. That was the worst. And, and I, these guys, Blue Jackets fans, don't like me for the fact that I grew up a Pens fan. But I'm, I'm now trying because of the friendship that we have with the jackets and transitioning over. And I like the blue jackets. Uh, but yeah, I was I was at that uh, winter classic where remember it got the late because it was like 55 degrees that day and they had to like push it back tonight. And I remember that hit and it was just like, oh, this is not going to be good. So, yeah, it was that no, no, was honey, that was crazy. No, no, honey. She doesn't mean anything. She doesn't mean anything to me. Listen, I'm real. I'm going to come over later tonight. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, uh, now, I don't know if it was your, you know, speaking before that Winter Classic, I'm leading up to it. Uh, Mark, you fell victim to one of the most notorious pranksters in the league and Marc-Andre Fleury uh, <laughs> when he somehow got access to your hotel room and moved uh, every single piece of furniture in your hotel room out into the hallway. Uh, you know, it just talk about that because again, like I said, you know, Flurry, he's notorious for being a prankster. Was that the only prank you got pulled down to? And did you pull any pranks or who was, and, and even, even take your time to the jackets. Who was, who was the prankster, the jokester in the jacket? That was, that was a pretty good one. And, and I had no idea. Uh, oh. we were, we were being followed oh. around by the, uh, by the HBO crew, kind of the lead up. I think there's 24 seven at the time. So yes. the lead up to the winter classic. Yeah. Yeah, so it was we, awesome. were out, we were out to dinner in Buffalo, and uh, the restaurant's not far away, so we're walking to and from, and, and Sid's in our group. Uh, so the cameras are following us, and, and Sid, being the, the guy he is, he stops and does some autographs, and me and Ben Lovejoy keep walking, and the cameras keep following us. So that was my first <laughs> tip that something was up, because <laughs> okay. I, like, there's no, there's no good TV here. There's nothing we're going to get. So we, we keep moving. And then as we came out of the elevator, I seen the setup and I, and I knew right then, I mean, they're in the elevator with us. They were catching our reaction. And it was great to have your whole room set up, uh, you know, a hat tip to them. Uh, but it was like, we, we kind of took it in stride. We gave the, the HBO show that the quote, you know, that we're going to find out we're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. The, the stuff they didn't get on the camera is, you know, we have to put our stuff back in the room. Right. <laughs> right. So about an hour, you know, into this, somebody comes up and they're upset with us. Like, who, why did you move your stuff into the hallway? You know, we're, we're bringing our stuff back in and <laughs> yeah. Sure. So they're, you they're think I did this. Yeah. And then like, we didn't move our stuff here. Who let them in our room? You know, like, so we turned it back around on them and they helped us then eventually. <laughs> I love it. In, but it was, uh, and I, and I, to be fair, I thought it was Matt Cook. So flower kind of oh, got okay. away with it. So I love it. Him. 
I yeah. love the. I can see the hotel worker just coming off fuming. Well, yeah. Around, like I didn't. I, you think I put my own shit in the hallway? Like yeah. that's not. I'm not cleaning. I have a game <laughs> tomorrow. I gotta save my back. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, uh, who let him in? Touche. Let me help you with that chair. Uh, <laughs> right. So. So uh, you play with the Pens, uh, you, uh, obviously a great organization, uh, and in 2011, you make your way to Columbus. And at the time, 2011, that's a franchise that had made the playoffs one time in their existence. Uh, so you, you, uh, you get the call or you get told that you've been traded over to Columbus. What are, what are the initial thoughts? What's the, uh, what's the trip over to Columbus like for you? And, and what was your mindset coming into the Jackets? Yeah, I, I knew there was a logjam in Pittsburgh. Uh, as I said, those guys were kind of hurt when I was playing and it had a good year, but everybody was starting to get healthy and the way it was starting to line up. Uh, you know, and there was a few, one younger guy pushing older guy brought in Richard Park and Joe Vitale. So I knew it was, it was kind of loaded down the middle where there might've been a move coming. And, and I got the call that I was the guy traded. Uh, and I was excited uh, right away. Initially uh, I'd never known anything different. Uh, and you're thinking maybe you're going to get a chance to, to play a little higher in the lineup. Maybe it's just, it's a new opportunity, fresh start. And I'd kind of gotten off to a tough start that year. Uh, but when it was Columbus, uh, you know, Scott Housen at the time asked me, he's like, well, you know, we have practice tomorrow. Do you want to come up tonight or tomorrow? And it just kind of hit me. Like I got to pack and leave. Like I don't <laughs> yeah. get the weekend to think about it. Like I'm somebody else's, I'm on somebody else's team. I got to go. So I, I said, I asked if I could, take to the morning and he said that's fine and then i turned to my wife and i said i gotta go like oh my god i'm leaving uh i'm leaving at i think i said 6 30 tomorrow morning got to be a practice for nine and it was kind of a good luck you know i just my son was probably was born in july oh my so, gosh. gosh he's little and you just say all right honey i'm going uh pack up <laughs> see you in a couple months <laughs> yeah yeah i so see you just good luck and off you go and and kind of the the rest is history as far as that. But, uh, when I got to Columbus, it was kind of, it was kind of a low point. I think, uh, they just gotten shelled maybe eight to two in Philly. It was rough. Uh, yeah. you know, I got to the locker room. I think the guys had just gone through three or four days of like tough practices. They'd come out to a really bad start. So it was, it was really, uh, a low point. And since then it seems like we've built from there. Uh, but it was, it was such a change to come from a, a, a team that expected to be in first place to a locker room and a team that was just trying to find themselves and trying to yeah. find an identity. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and you were there. I mean, when you started there, it was a crazy time to be a Blue Jacket. You know, you were there for huge moves like the Rick Nash trade. You know, when you see, you know, the, the guy, like the face of the franchise moved at that time, what, is it, what does that do for the morale of a team? And just to be clear, Rick's my boss. I love Rick. Rick's <laughs> Correct. <man>. Correct. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Yeah, it's true. No, you, love you, yeah, Rick. I, I love you, Rick. Hi, Rick. Yeah. No, the, uh, yeah, it, it was just, we were just in, in a transition. Uh, and Rick Nash was synonymous with the Blue Jackets. I mean, yes. he was yeah. the guy. Uh, everybody in the stands at the time seemed like only 1,300 of them, but they all had Rick Nash jerseys on. Or Chicago Blackhawks or Pittsburgh Penguin jerseys on, depending who was in town. Yeah. And when he got traded, our identity kind of went with it. And then it seemed like from that point, once we 
once Matt Calvert took a bigger role and, and Brandon Dubinsky and this kind of blue collar, hard nose player yeah. kind of came to the mm-hmm. forefront. I feel like that's now that that's kind of the genesis of where we are now. Yes. Where yeah. we're, we're this blue collar team. That's just, we're not going to go away and we're going to kind of refuse to be, you know, the, the penguins kind of punching bag. You know, I think it's great. Like, uh, this uh, I'll throw this podcast out or, you know, talk about other, our, our buddies over at spitting chicklets or, you know, whatever podcast you listen to. I think part of the fun of all this is like, I just don't think sometimes you just stop and think about people and their lives and what happens. Like you were just talking about getting traded from Pittsburgh to Columbus and you're sitting there with a, a wife and a baby <laughs> and you got to be at practice at nine o'clock tomorrow morning. Like, right. I don't know. I I'm, I'm a fan as much as anything. And you just like, you watch your team make a trade for a player and you get really excited. Like, Oh, cool. So-and-so is coming on to be a part of the team. You don't think like, geez, like they, they could have just been in bed, like hanging with their at dinner, hanging with the family. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, get there tomorrow. And they just show up and play the next day. Like it's, that's such a crazy element of like, my job can't just trade me to California, you know, like, well, you're gone. Uh, it's just, that's such a crazy part. And I think sometimes professional athletes are just looked at as like, oh, you make a bunch of money and you play a sport and it is what it is. And I'm like, man, that's, that's got to just rock your world sometimes. It, it sure does. I mean, it definitely uh, is a shock to the system, but again, like we're, you're never going to hear any of us cry you know, and no. we want, want to, right. feel, you know, right. get people to feel sorry for us because we are, you know, we are compensated pretty well for our trouble. Uh, but there is a, there is a, a human side to it. There is that element <laughs> that, uh, sometimes they don't see. I, I'm a huge, huge baseball fan. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just think about right now what the blue Jays are going through. I mean, they're going to be moving to right. the third home city in season, you know, and Ross Stripling just got rocked his last game. And he's talking about having to say bye to his wife and kids for the second time in a year, you know? So, and I guess, you know, that that's part of sports. Again, we get it. Uh, but sometimes an element that's a little bit overlooked. Well, that's something that even last night, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA title last night. And that's something that Giannis said in his post game. He was like, they asked him about like the bubble the year before and, and, and NHL was going through too. And he was like, there's a lot of guys that miss being home. They miss their family. And they miss like, you can say all you want, like, Oh, playoff mode. Let's do this. But like, if you don't see your kids for two months, that can probably be a pretty difficult situation. Yeah, uh, I mean, sometimes it's nice to go on the road for four or five days. <laughs> yes. I got to admit that there are some nice times to get away, but it is always nice to come home. <laughs> hey, hey spe- speaking of which update, are the kids in bed yet? Like, do we, do we, do we get that? Or, uh, they keep doing hot laps here to check on dad. So we got a little golf <laughs> oh, okay. going. I'm staying low. That's why it's nice. I, and dark in here. <laughs> I love it. There are certainly, I travel a little bit for work and there are nice days to get away. That's like the, my wife's like the one kid pooped out of her diaper and the other one slapped me in the face with a peanut butter sandwich. Like, and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to just kick on the TV here and lay back in my hotel bed. <laughs> yeah. Hey, talk to you tomorrow, hey, so I, I guess. I, Hey, so I'm going to Fenway for a game. Can we end this? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, uh, so, uh, again, you're part of the Blue Jackets turnaround. You're part of, uh, you brought up Dubinsky. We've had him on. We've talked with him about that turnaround. You're part of that turnaround. But in 2015, uh, you leave the Blue Jackets. And I can only assume you fulfilled 
probably a lifelong dream, I would guess. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up about you. But you grew up a couple hours outside of Edmonton uh, in, in Elk Point, which I looked up. And the first picture that came up when I Googled uh, Elk Point was just like a warehouse. Uh, so, so like you said, there's not many people there. Uh, uh, but what was it like to go back and play at home for the Oilers? Well, and you would have made, you would have had a bad guess. Not an, oh, Oilers no, fan. no, what? not an Oilers fan. Uh, Whoa. Yeah. I was a, uh, I was a hardcore Montreal Canadians fan. What? Wow. Okay. That is just an indoctrination from dad. That's what he was. So That's of fair. course, naturally the son will be. Uh, but my, I married into an Oilers family. Uh, <laughs> all my friends are Oilers fans. Uh, so there is, uh, going back was exciting for us for that reason. Uh, and, I, and like a story on how big of an Oilers fan my father-in-law is, uh, in the eighties, he would not drive through the city of Calgary because he hated Calgary. So, <laughs> oh my God. So he, oh my would, God. he would drive, he would go yes. 30 minutes out of his way just to not drive in the city. Uh, so oh, that's how much yes. an Oilers fan uh, he is. So it was, it was a very cool time for us. Uh, an adjustment in its own playing at home is, is, is a different animal in its own. Yeah. Just the, uh, the attention of it, uh, you know, how many people seem to need things from you. Uh, but once, once you kind of get that under wraps, uh, it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I had a run in the playoffs where I playing out of my mind and I ended up on the yeah. front page of the, the city newspaper. And I think my mom bought the store out. So like stuff like that is just, <laughs> right. those are invaluable memories and just cool things. When you go back, does it say, you know, does it say Elf Point, home of Mark Letestu? No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, but there is quite okay. the sh- there's quite the shrine set up in the arena uh, that they've done, which is, again, the kind of a pinch yourself moment because it's, and if you look up the building, maybe the warehouse you've seen was the arena. It's this god-awful blue color, uh, the A.G. Ross <laughs> Arena. But you know, I have a little setup in there for me. So it's, uh, it, it's really fi- cool. And, and 500 of those 1,400 people work there. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. a beautiful town. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. awesome. <laughs> so did you, like, again, you've been through, you played in the NHL. You've done all that. You're obviously your primary love right now is the Blue Jackets. but was it pretty special watching the Canadians make that run uh, to the Stanley Cup Finals? You know, for you as, as a guy that grew up a Canadians fan, and and I'll be honest too, uh, the fandom goes away once you become a professional. And really? Once, yeah. yeah. Once once the team, uh, once you put the jersey on, uh, that all that stuff goes away. Uh, the coolest like Canadians moment for me was being able to take my dad on his 60th birthday to you know, to the bell center to watch me play against them. That's just something he'd never mm-hmm. got to do. That was something for yeah. him. That was, was pretty special. Uh, but once you, once you put on the Jersey and you kind of make your own way, uh, the, the fandom goes away, but it, wow. it was a cool story, uh, for them. Uh, I don't know if they make the playoffs, if they're not in the North division, you know, with the nope. crossover. So right. yep, for sure. them to get in on those circumstances, and then go on the run. Uh, I, I I just, I know the kind of player Shea Weber is, and I think it would have been cool to see him win. Uh, but I know David Savard a little better, and I'm, I'm pretty happy he got it. Uh, that, that, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's awesome. Uh, he, he's one of the good ones, one of the good guys in the league, and yeah. one of the guys that I, I truly cheer for. Mark, we'd just like to welcome back in Joey. He had to go finish his taco salad. It took him a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> 
I just couldn't resist. It was getting cold on the counter. <laughs> uh, no, that was funny. It's funny, you know, uh, rough season for the Jackets last year, obviously. Uh, not the expectations uh, uh, or, or not living up to some of the expectations that we thought we, they could have lived up to. But one of the fun things that happened was in those trades that they made uh, in getting rid of some fan favorite players, which is not easy to do in Savard or Felino or whatever. It, the playoffs became much more interesting, I think, to a lot of Blue Jackets fans when our team wasn't in it to, to just be like, all right, I can get behind the Lightning. I can get behind Savard. I can get behind the Maple Leafs and, and see if uh, uh, see if Felino can do something. You know, like uh, it became kind of fun to watch, but uh, it's interesting to hear the fandom goes away. Yeah, well, and that's and that's the way I would say the way you described it is probably how I mean, it's how I do. I would think it's how probably most hockey players uh, you don't cheer for teams. You just cheer for guys, you know. Uh, yeah. So for me, obviously, I'd love to see Nick win. Nick's one of my best buddies uh, and savvy being a longtime teammate. You're just hoping for the individuals to win. Could care less if the Lightning win the cup. But, uh, you know, savvy gets to raise above his head and take that lap. I can comfortably turn off the TV after that. Right. right. It's funny. You and Nick, you and you and Felino can pass on some pointers. When he was on with us, it was like at, right after the bubble. And he was like, I'm home at a time where I'm not normally home. He's like, I'm a soccer dad now, like taking the kids to school and dropping them off in the line. I never get to do that. You guys can pass along some pointers from, from being at home. It's funny. You guys both brought up that same stuff. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I'm not a soccer dad. I'm the obnoxious little league dad that sits down the uh, baseline with a yeti. Okay, that's, yeah. that's my spot. That's right. Nice, like. nice. Don't ask me what's in the damn yeti. I'm sitting here and I'm watching baseball. Uh, it's it's. There's nothing better than a hot Ohio day on the third baseline, watching your kid play ball. It's it's the best. Yes. Right. I mean, Nick was, I mean, Nick was hip checking mom's out of routine. Like it was that, it was that weird of a time for him. Mark, so. <laughs> yeah. All right. So one of the other exciting things going on right now, uh, the expansion drafts happening as we speak. I don't know if it's over yet. I don't know what's going on, but uh, the Seattle Kraken joining the NHL, the NHL expanding uh, just, just kind of thoughts on, on that situation. Uh, first of all, thoughts on the Kraken, the name. Great Are you name. down with the Kraken? Great name great uniforms i hope they fully embrace the crackheads in the crack house i think that's i think that would be amazing yes! Just if, if they lean into that uh they already got a needle they're always oh, they're, oh no they're, uh, they're a welcome addition uh I, I, hopefully a rivalry with vancouver at some point just the proximity of it yeah but, i mean even you know i don't know what time you're going to air this uh but the, the whole draft kind of lost its sizzle when we knew all the picks. Right. You know, yeah. And right. this morning it, it, it took the fun out of it for me, the anticipation of eight o'clock tonight, but just knowing all the picks that, you know, 1130 this morning uh, kind of took the sizzle out of the, the whole show. Now I saw that the, uh, the Kraken took uh Bayreuther from the Jackets, Gavin, uh, you know, what, what type of player are they getting in him? What do you know about him? What, uh, what's the story on Gavin? See, the, the good thing for me is I, I don't really have to know because I'm not developing him. But I, I did That's see him. <laughs> I did see him come up a little bit, uh, you know. And he, I'm pretty sure he was part of those Texas teams in the American League that were pretty good. Yeah. Uh, okay. He got a pretty good look here last year with with the roster turnover, and he and he, he didn't look out of place. He looked like he could hold his own. He looked like a National Hockey League defenseman. Uh, 
So I don't know what Seattle's intentions are with him there. If he's going to be on the opening day roster, or maybe that two-way contract is appealing. You add some depth with whoever you're picking, but uh, you know, as, as a franchise, I'm sure that the Blue Jackets wish they'd keep them all. But just the way it works with these uh, with these drafts, you're hoping this one uh, doesn't sting like the last one did. Well, and and this is the interesting, like this expansion draft thing, man, is so interesting. And you've been through one, although. Uh, It came after the 2016-17 season that you referenced where you kicked ass with the Oilers, uh, both in the regular season and the playoffs. It was your best season in the NHL. You got your your mom buying a bunch of newspapers and stuff. So you actually were put on the protected list for the Oilers. uh, So you didn't have to worry about Vegas coming in and and taking you off their hands. But what's this like for players? Like the, the interesting thing for me is, you know, every team's got their core. Their, 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 their main core of players that you know are not going to be left unprotected unless there's some weird salary thing or whatever. Uh, but then it always seems like it comes down to these last few guys that are unprotected that it, it's not a coin flip, but it feels like it could be a coin flip with some other guys on the roster that are probably equally as talented. What's it like? Like what you've had teammates go through. What's it like going through that as a player? Like if you're unprotected, knowing that, I'm on this list. I could just be taken at any point. Yeah. And, and I think uh, as a fan, you guys probably see it as much more sudden, you know, like I, I would, I would venture that those players that got selected today, this is probably not even close to the first time they heard they're being selected. Generally okay. teams and agents are talking kind of well in advance. And then, you know, there's a likelihood that they'll know when they're going to be picked. Uh, so there's not such a sudden, but I mean, in some case, there's some guys that are on, you know, four year, five year contracts that they intended to be in that city. And just by expansion, they're gone. Yeah. Uh, so, so it is another wrinkle. Uh, it's another part of, you know, moving cities that, that maybe people don't think about that uh, is part of the game that happens, but I think it's great for, for hockey to have another team. Uh, and just yeah. speaking to being protected, you know, <laughs> it's one of those where you look back and you're like, wow, but the circumstances were that, uh, you know, Connor and I'm pretty sure Leon were still on entry level deals. So they didn't have to be protected and just the way the youth of the team was. And I did kill it that year. Uh, yeah, you did. I know that I just no had big to be protected. No yeah. big deal. <laughs> yeah. People knew me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so is this better? Blue Jackets fans are jaded with the expansion draft because when it was the Blue Jackets' turn to be an expansion franchise, the setup was much different, and there was no real chance. There was no real chance of you doing hey. an expansion draft. Hey, yeah, there is. There was no, no chance. Of you. Value. Yeah, I love it. Uh, <laughs> Terrific lighting. Yeah, you didn't have the opportunity that these teams like Vegas did, and now Seattle coming in to to really compete right off the bat and be a be a regular NHL. Fr- the Blue Jackets came in as an expansion franchise, and it felt like it. Uh, is this better though? Like I know Blue Jackets fans are jaded, but is it is it a better setup now having these teams come in and not just be like at a complete disadvantage? No doubt, no doubt. And I and I, I think that was the way all expansion franchises were. You know, Minnesota really wasn't any good, and you know the right. teams before them. It, it was just part of. It's almost like you you had to take your lumps, and nobody felt bad for you, and you got everybody's scraps, and <laughs> it, it just it was it was hard on franchise, especially in non-traditional hockey markets. Uh, you know, it, I mean, I mean the success the golden Knights have had to me shows, shows it. I mean, to go from 
year one Stanley Cup final, I mean, that team is so cemented in that city. Right. Because of that run. Like nobody, I would think it's not a, it's not a Raiders town. I would think that's a Golden Knights town. Just the way the city. And I mean, you know, they had their tragedy that year with, with the unfortunate shooting and the way the city took that team as kind of a rallying point and then right. rode it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, and when you go there, you feel the energy in that building. It is, it is, it's really remarkable what, that that's a franchise, uh, an expansion sure. franchise. So I think sure. if, if that's the blueprint, I mean, I don't expect the Kraken to be in the final, but I don't think anybody expects the Golden Knights. Uh, but for them to be better, I think it's easier for the fans and the city to have a little bit more pride in that franchise and, and hopefully grow it up in those markets just a little bit quicker. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly you, you, I mean, you look at the players that were available to Vegas and now this year with Seattle, I mean, if you're in another market, hell, even a mid market team, like if I'm, you know, Indianapolis or, 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 or like Portland, I mean, if you're, if you could have the opportunity to be instantly good, like, I mean, what city wouldn't want a, 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 an instant contender like, like the NHL has it set up to be right now. Well, and, and I think the success the Golden Knights would give any, you know, prospective franchise yeah. that hope mm-hmm. that it can happen. Yeah. I mean, there's there's the blueprint. And everybody had mm-hmm. them written off as far as the talent they took. And they had some guys turn into stars that maybe weren't thought of. I mean, Jonathan Marchessault, who was a, a you know, Blue Jack yeah. farmhand for a long time, all of a sudden mm-hmm. takes off. Yeah. It's just funny how all of a sudden those guys get an opportunity and they just, they just take off. Uh, so I hope the best for Seattle. I hope they finish second to the blue jackets this year. Well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. A couple of things before we let you out of here, uh, Mark, uh, uh, you brought it up earlier, actually. Uh, you said a little bit later in your career, you were one of the older guys that had to go down and play in the minors. Well, you did that in Cleveland. Uh, and we're a Cleveland podcast. Uh, we talk about the blue jackets, but we're, we're based out of Cleveland. Uh, so just your time at the Monsters, because I think we view the Monsters here in Cleveland. We feel lucky to have the Monsters in Cleveland. Like, I think we, uh, if you know anything about other minor league towns or whatever, it, it's not always, it's not always putting 12,000 people in the seats on a weekend game, like playing with the production value that they do at the Monsters. What was your time like playing in Cleveland with the Monsters? I loved it. I, uh, sometimes it can be viewed, uh, has really taken a step back. And, and to some extent it is, yeah. you know, you, you go from sure. playing 12 consecutive years in the NHL to sure. now you're kind of having to take a back seat and, and you're going back to the minors. Uh, but I was never, I was never too proud or had a big enough ego to not go back and, and show that I belong. You know, for me, it was yeah. a kind of a prove myself year. Uh, so I went down there with the mindset that, uh, you know, I was going to prove that I still had it. Uh, and along the way, uh, hopefully have an impact on some young guys coming up like guys had for me. Uh, and, and I, I, I had such a, I had a good year personally, but as a team, uh, I think we overachieved as well. Uh, you know, the, the big club got a lot of, uh, press for beating the lightning in the first round yep. with the big upset. Yeah. We did the same thing. Took the top right. spot Syracuse lightning affiliate and, and bounced them in the, in the first round. Uh. You know, we, we really took it to the franchise that year, Yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and came up short the, the next year and things didn't work out that I could come back. But, uh, like you said, the support that that team has is, is uncommon. Uh, and maybe the, the fans don't realize it, but it's, it's greatly appreciated by those players. There, there's, 
not a lot of teams touch five digit attendances, you know, especially, you know, and to, to go back and see what the guys went through for that championship run and see the, the crowd, uh, it's pretty special, uh, what they have there. Yeah. I mean, you probably don't recognize my ugly face, which I'm surprised, which that, that's, that's a, that's a me, giant Mark. head that <laughs> should be recognized, me, Mark, but uh, I actually work for that scoreboard crew for the monsters. So, uh, we've, we've worked together before actually, but, uh, <laughs> in, in filming, but, uh, yeah, you are, you were, you were saying, uh, you know, you look at it. Some people look at it as a, taking a step back, you know, they don't call it the always hungry league for nothing. Right. I mean, <laughs> No, but uh, I, I anyway, apo- I apologize. It's the it's the cabin and the lighting and the Wi-Fi. Otherwise, I might I might have oh, hey, recognized. Mark, yeah. Mark, Mark, <laughs> Mark, don't let don't let Chad put you on an awkward spot like that. Like you should have recognized Chad from the scoreboard crew. <laughs> Listen, Mark, there's a reason why I use muted lighting. It's just so nobody <laughs> yeah. can look at me. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, but uh, I guess, yeah, a couple of quick hitters. Uh, the one the one thing I wanted to touch on is, you know, you weren't afraid to get in a scrap every now and then if you had to uh and i watched a clip today of you <laughs> getting in a scrap with martin hansel and <laughs> you know he he's 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 six five he goes probably about six 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 seven on skates and, and you're listening at five ten and he looks like he's just laughing his ass off the entire <laughs> time in this clip uh is that kind of one of your favorite scraps or what's when you look back, what are some of your favorite moments, I guess, in your, in your NHL career? Yeah, I was fortunate. I didn't have to do it a lot. Uh, yeah. But honestly, that when you look at those numbers, uh, height, weight discrepancy, I'm lucky to be alive, guys. I'm lucky to be talking <laughs> to you here today. Uh, yeah. But no, and we, we kind of had a scrum right before that. Uh, I cross-checked them, and we kind of had a, you know, that pushing slap fight <laughs> things that hockey players do and went to the box. And as, as we came out of the box, it was just the last minute. And you can probably see it on the clip where, where uh, Ekman Larson kind of hits Hendricks and then Cassian comes in and just buries him with a cross check. Yeah. And then yeah. just sheds his gloves and starts punching anything in a coyote's jersey. <laughs> And that's right. just as I get out of the box and I just talked an immense amount of shit to Hansel. So there was no way for me to get away. <laughs> no, I had. So when you talk that much shit, you got to do it. So I, I, I dropped my gloves. I survived. I got to go sit right. in the, the dressing room as we barely hung on, but it was a Gordie Howe hat trick, which is the only hat trick I got in the NHL. So it was, it was one of my better games in the league. And I was pretty excited about it. That's um, almost better than a natural hat trick. It's almost yeah, better than a natural hat trick. And that's, that's why I had to go out. Cause I had two on the game and the net was empty. So the coach is pushing for me to go out there. And then as I make the left turn from the box to go down, everybody's punching. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> well, <that's laughs> all right. I guess we're doing this. Yeah. Uh, you made a comment when you, uh, when you announced retirement, um, what is it about? We ask this to a lot of people. Ohio, we have Ohio State Buckeyes football players on here. We have Blue Jackets. What is it about Columbus that makes people want to stay? Because you're you're another one of those guys. You you left Columbus. You went and played in Edmonton. You came back to Columbus. Yeah. You went up to Winnipeg. You said, "I'm going to retire and I'm going to live in Columbus." That was in yeah. an interview that I read. What what is it about Columbus? Even without the job, you made it sound like this was before the job was announced. I didn't know. I don't know if you knew you had the job yet or not. But you were like, I'm going to go back to Columbus. I got roots there. What is it about that city? I don't. I think it's the people. Uh, where I came from, pretty small, blue collarish. You know, we we were oil field people. Uh, 
work hard. Uh, and when we first got there, uh, my wife and I were a young couple, small baby. Uh, sometimes you just feel comfortable somewhere and you make good friends in the area. And just for whatever reason, the people in the Midwest and I, we get each other. We just, we just understand and, and you just fit. And then, you know, the schools where your kids, where you want them to grow up, the people you want them growing up around, it just, I said, it just fit. Uh, and the funny part about the whole coming back to Columbus, I was in year two of my Oilers contract in the off season. Uh, and I said to my wife, I said, I'm looking at real estate in Columbus. I think I want to go back. She's like, what? I'm like, I think I want to go back. And I booked a flight on Thursday. I'm going to look at houses with Darlene. She's like, what? What? And I got on the plane in two days. I went and I just, I, I just, I missed it. I wanted to be back in Ohio. So I, my second year, I saw another year on my deal in Edmonton. I came back and I bought our house that we're living in. And, and from that point on, I just knew that that's where we wanted to be. Uh, so previous to the job, you know, as you alluded to, I, I knew I was going to be living in Columbus one way or the other. Wow, man. All right. Well, last question, Mark, and thank you so much for your time. And uh, kind of a lighthearted one here, but uh, I, I, I got to know. And I had this problem when we had Felino on, too. I could not figure out his hockey nickname. Like, you know how you add like an EY to the end of someone or like an ER? Like, it's like, you know, like, like, like Marker or Marky or like, like, like. <laughs> And 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 I saw this on uh, Nick's carpool. Yeah. Nobody call nobody calls you Testy, do they? Like like, what's your hockey nickname? Or, or or are you are you one of those rare cases where you're just Mark? No, no, absolutely not. They wouldn't. They would never let <laughs> okay. me get away with that. Uh, okay. For for the guys that that are pretty comfortable with themselves, Testy will work. Uh, okay. But the guys that aren't, it's Test, and they'll just test, they'll shorten okay. it up. But uh, Todd yeah. Richards, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> the head coach, I got the first name, last name treatment on everything. So anytime oh, I was no. seen on video, I was Mark Latestu. Mark Latestu. <laughs> yes, doing. Look what Mark Latestu is doing. So that was rough. Oh, uh, my God. But yeah, testy is acceptable. Not everybody seems to have an issue with it. Some coaches do, uh, but most everybody's now is just test. Okay. All right. Yeah. It seems like you're the one that needs to be comfortable with it. Aren't you? I've had so many bad ones. Uh, I was oh, tubes, really? tubes in Western Michigan. Tubes. So, tubes. Yeah. Test tube. Right. So everybody. Like, oh, oh Jesus. Yeah, These college so, kids are so creative. Yeah. Wow. This is yeah. smart. So smart. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right. Mark Latestu again. Uh, let's drop it real quick. Friday, this upcoming Friday, NHL draft draft party at nationwide arena for all the blue jackets fans. It is free. Mark will be there, right? That is confirmed. Uh, Mark will be there signing autographs. You can meet Mark, get an autograph, say hi, uh, along with other blue jackets from past and present. So go check that out. But Mark Latestu now currently a, uh, a coach with the blue jackets. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for taking time away from glamping, uh, joining us from woods with Wi-Fi. Uh, we really appreciate your time. That's the campground. That's the campground name is Woods with Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it, guys. I got to see if I can find my way home now. And once again, a big thank you to Mark Latestu. If you want to meet Mark, all you got to do is be in Columbus Friday night at the Blue Jackets draft party, Nationwide Arena. He'll be signing autographs. You can also meet current players, 
Cam, Bjorky, uh, Roslovic's going to be there. Uh, and it's going to be a busy, busy night. The Blue Jackets currently have three first round picks. Boys, here's the question. Uh, and we didn't ask this, but he does. Even if he does have inside information, he's not going to give it to us on this podcast. So, Chad, Joe, right now the Blue Jackets have three first round picks. Are they going to take three first round players? Uh, I kind of lean towards yes. I feel like I feel like they are just entering rebuild mode now, and you have an opportunity to rebuild a core, which I think is a very rare opportunity for any franchise. And to be able to, I mean, I guess it depends on who they have their eyes on, but to have that opportunity in the first round for three first round picks, uh, I think that would make any GM salivate. Chad? Uh, man, I would like to think that, the, you know, Yarmo's going to make some sort of big deal. And sorry, God, you know, when it's your birthday, you get birthday balloons and it's out here on the porch. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I would like to think I would like to think that uh, Yarmo is going to make some sort of big, big deal to get uh, a high profile center because that is what this team desperately needs. And you still might get one when Seth Jones is dealt. But I, I honestly think that Yarmo is going to uh, make all three of these first round picks because at the bottom, because at the bottom of the draft at the, at the bottom of the first round, you do get good talent. You do get great talent, but you don't get elite talent. Someone It's very rare to find someone who's going to be on your NHL roster right away. Number five, absolutely. So I, I, I think he is going to make all three of these first-round picks. Whether they stay remains to be seen. I don't know, but I think three first-round picks are coming to the Blue Jackets. Yeah, I don't uh, – so I'm <sighs> – so I'm looking at the Blue Jackets situation, and, and there's a couple things that are coming into mind for me. The Seth Jones getting traded, depending on – what it looks like is you're going to get some good young talent back for Seth Jones. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that has to play into your decision on the other young talent that you're taking. So, right. okay. Now here's the other thing that I think about though. I think you have two goaltenders on this roster. And again, I think it all just plays in. I think you have two young goaltenders on this roster that you trust and that are within a couple of years of entering what should be a really prime part of their careers. Right. So how long are you going to wait for young talent to develop while you've got a goaltender situation that's really good before those paths don't cross? And so I think Yarmo until the last minute is going to try to make deals. And, 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 and again, Chad, you kind of alluded to it. So I like what you did there. It was a very political answer. It was noncommittal. You think he's going to draft all three players, but you don't know if they're going to be around. I'm yeah. I would be surprised if they did draft all three players. Uh, however, yeah. if they do draft all three players, I'll be even more surprised. Like you said, Chad, if all three stick around and aren't big part of a bigger plan. Right. Yeah. And if, if the talent comes back, if you get the return that you expect for Seth Jones, like for instance, the, one of the main teams that, that, that Seth uh, is linked to uh, the Seth Jones trade is, is the Chicago Blackhawks. Yes. And one of the things that you, this Blue Jackets team, we talked, you know, I said earlier, desperately needs is a, a, a top tier center. And you're looking at like a Kirby Doc uh, in, in exchange yeah. for Seth Jones. And someone like that could really boost this lineup, especially if you right. put him uh, uh, next to a Patrick Line. So I, I, I don't know. 
We'll see if that includes because Chicago Chicago can also use a goaltender too. Chicago. So we'll see how that uh, evens out uh, and how that plays out in this draft. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. Joe, we didn't even talk to Mark Letestu. He was a Nashville Predator for about seven yeah, minutes. I think it was three hours. <laughs> he got dealt to the Predators yeah. and then literally immediately dealt back to Corey, the Blue like fourth uh, round was, entry level uh, draft pick. Yes. <laughs> God, how excited were you, Joe? How excited I do actually you? remember the notification that he was traded to us. And uh, I remember seeing, I was like at work, and I remember seeing that he was traded again. Well, you don't, you probably don't have to remember that much. They probably have a banner they hanging might, for it. Yes. Uh, in, in He's actually in the Predators <laughs> Hall of Fame. <laughs> made a Mark Letestu trade. Hang that shit by the We Made the Playoffs that one time banner. <laughs> Uh, screw, all right, boys. That, screw, screw that Elk Point Memorial. You know what? <laughs> yeah. banner up in uh, Bridgestone Arena. He probably could. Uh, all right, so great hockey talk tonight. A great hockey week and weekend coming up. Again, uh, uh, the Kraken, the team has filled out. Uh, and, and again, a lot of good players. And they've got the second pick in the draft tomorrow. So, Or, I'm sorry, this weekend. So, uh, a lot of exciting stuff uh, when it comes to the NHL. Let's get off that for a little bit. Got a couple things we want to hit kind of quickly before we get out of here for this episode. One, the NBA Finals come to an end last night. And boys, I, I feel like I have to do this. Yeah. I feel like I have to eat crow a little bit. Um, I said for a long time, I've said for a long time that I'm not a, I'm not a huge Giannis guy. Yeah. And, and don't, don't take that for like the player or the person that he is because I think Giannis is a fine person. I just always kind of felt like if Giannis was your best player, how could you win? And boy, was I proven wrong because the Milwaukee Bucks, after going down 0-2 in the NBA finals to the Phoenix Suns, figured that shit out. And Giannis was spectacular, specifically Mm -hmm. in game six, the final game of the series where he put up 50 points Mm-hmm. He went like, what was he, like 17 of 18 from the free throw so line? Stupid. Yeah. Like per, almost perfect from the free throw line. Exceptional defensively. And and what I have said all along was, I don't always love the way that they play Giannis. I don't always love that he seems to get a little bit into perimeter guy mode. And this entire yeah. playoffs, he didn't do that. This entire playoffs, Giannis did what he is the best at the NBA in doing, which is putting his head down, dribbling the ball one time from half court to the basket because his legs are so long that he doesn't need to dribble more than that. And nobody can stop him when he gets to the hoop. And that is what he did. And he was the best player on the box. I I always thought if Giannis is going to win a title, it's going to have to be as like the second best player. He's going to have to be like a Robin to a Batman. Nope. He was Batman, Superman, Spider-Man. He was all of the superheroes put into one. And the Bucks, with one of the most incredible turnarounds, after those first two games, I was like, oh, shit, this is going to get ugly fast. It did yeah. not. And the Bucks absolutely destroyed the Suns in the last four games of that series. And, and Giannis was the biggest reason why. Yeah, he really took over in that second half. Oh. I, I, I mean, the, the Suns came back after going down big up in that first quarter there. and was, Yes. We're leading at halftime, and you were thinking, wow, yeah, maybe this will go seven. But no, Giannis just 
took over in that second half, man. And boy, oh boy. And, you know, congratulations to Milwaukee. It's, it's always nice to see a mid-market team win a championship. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're going nuts up there in uh, Miller Lightville. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and listen, they put together a good team, right? Like the, the things that I saw in that series, Drew Holiday, probably the unsung hero of that series, mm-hmm. because something flipped, a switch flipped with him after the first couple games. And I don't know if you mm-hmm. noticed, his defense was so obnoxious. And I mean yeah. that in the best possible way for Drew Holiday. Yeah. He didn't shoot the ball very well all series. He didn't score very well all series. Frankly, he didn't do much offensively well all series. But defensively, the minute Chris Paul would cross half court, Drew Holiday was right on him. And he was a pest. Yeah. And it made yeah. Chris Paul's life miserable. And he would switch and he'd go to Booker and he'd go to Jay Crowder. And like Drew Holiday was phenomenal in that series. And I yeah. think he's the unsung hero along with, and the guy that along with the guy that I don't know that will ever get enough credit for how good he is, which is Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton yeah. is elite. He is an elite yeah. offensive basketball player. I don't know if he'll ever get that credit, but he's a champion. And that's, and that's was what I was going to bring up on the other side of that. Drew holiday doesn't get recognized for this championship. If Chris Middleton doesn't step up and uh, be that second best offensive player to Giannis, because uh, those first two games, he was not right. He, 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 he was not, he disappeared and the Phoenix Suns won those two games handily. And everybody was like, Suns in four, by the way, rest in peace. Suns in four guy. Uh, oh, yeah, right. After this, well, uh, I don't think he died. No, he he's die, not going to be on uh, what's that app called? Um, Cameo. He's not even a cameo anymore. Oh. Or he might. No. Okay. Maybe I should redo like rest in peace, sons and four guy gimmick. You could Maybe. be okay, like fair. You could be the rebuttal to it. better. I was like, I hope he didn't die. I hope he's okay. Bucks and six. Bucks and six. No, uh where was I going? What was I saying? Oh yeah. I don't know. Chris you Middleton. were eating. I was listening to you chew and talk at the yeah. same time. Yeah, you're you're welcome. Uh Chris Middleton, uh boys, I am pleasant. Uh Chris Middleton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but uh, Drew Holiday doesn't get that recognition if Chris Middleton doesn't step up those last four games, and he did. I agree. I mean, just what a performance by the Bucks! Congratulations. Yeah, big time. And again, let me crow. Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, uh, what a special moment. What a special thing it was to watch him uh, celebrate. Uh, absolute crushing the press conference on the aftermath, talking about how he grew up in Athens, Greece, selling gum to tourists. And now he's an NBA champion. And, and um, all the and, brothers know. are champions now. That's crazy. All three of them. And he's, and he's, he is, uh, he is a very likable dude. Uh, and, yeah. and the stuff he was saying about doing it in the city of Milwaukee was just, was huge. So uh, shall be to- on the podcast next week. He will be on the podcast. <laughs> nope. Don't do that. Don't. I mean, that'd be <laughs> great. That. But you, you better follow through with that, sir. Uh, uh, so bucks win the title. Uh, another big event. Uh, we like to talk golf around here. Colin Morikawa wins his second mate, uh, major of the year. Uh, and it is the, it is the, Dude, he was. I don't know if you got. Did you guys watch the open? Like, I, I will, a, a little bit. He was so good. Yeah. He was so good. Just like these other guys are over here. Just like, you know what I love about the open? What? The open is a tournament that Bryson DeChambeau cannot do well in. 
<laughs> because it doesn't matter how far you hit the ball in the open. You've got to keep the ball out of the shit. Right. Because if the ball goes in the shit, you are effed. Bryson hits the ball 7,000 yards into the shit every time. And so he posts like a, a plus didn't 10. Did he not make the cut? Kellen Morikawa was like, uh, he did make, he barely made the cut, but it, it didn't matter. Uh, Kellen Morikawa was like a surgeon, like a, mm-hmm. like an absolute surgeon. And it was very fun to watch. Uh, and I don't know. I just, I just dig the, the big time golf tournaments. I feel like the older I get guys, I don't know. I don't know. How are you guys growing up? This is a great question. How are you guys growing up? Like my dad used to put on golf and I'd be like, mm-hmm. Nope. And I would go yeah. do something else. Yeah. Now I am a 36 year old man. Mm. And when golf is on, on like a Saturday or Sunday, like I was waking up at like seven to be like, I got to put the open on. I got to watch it. <laughs> yeah. I don't have cable. So, <laughs> so I didn't watch it, but funny story. I went golfing on Sunday and the course I went had like a, like a contest where uh, you turn in your score at the end of the round and then you pick someone in the top, I think 25 and you add their score for Sunday plus your score. And whoever has the lowest top three scores wins like free golf and free money from the golf course. And they're saying like, yeah, you know, everyone's sitting around, you know, like the eighties or stuff. So it's really doable to get in that if, you know, you guys can hit around there. And I, I couldn't. I, I couldn't. No. And then I, I did break a hundred for the first time in like four years though. Hey, thank you. I also lost the entire bottom that. of my golf shoe on the second hole. I'm going to make that my pseudo cheer yes. of the week. I, I might cheer myself actually. Hey. You can cheer yourself for breaking up. Selfish. Uh, yeah, boys. So listen, I, I don't know. I had the Indians. I don't want to talk about the Indians. They're winning tonight. What do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about the, like the Astros? Ernie Clement. Ernie Clement hit a three-run double yeah, right, with the bases cool. loaded to give the Indians the lead. Let's so go, Ernie. We're winning for the two. Let's go, Big I just can't. I, I just I can't. The Indians, I, I just, uh, I just, this is going to sound repetitive. Um, <laughs> it's like if I say this, well, then when are they supposed to be good? Um, but they've never come out of the all-star break strong either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, so-, so they don't start the season well, <laughs> and they get destroyed out of the all-star break. Yeah. You gotta wait. And they did come up. Every, everywhere else in between that, you gotta wait till the divisional <laughs> games in August and September, and that's when. Oh God! This is a four gamer against that's Houston, unfair. right? Uh huh. Right? Don't they play tomorrow? So listen, I'll tell you what: if they can win today and tomorrow, and they even the series with the Astros, and they they took the series from Oakland, which what was it? The first time they won a series in Oakland since twenty fourteen. Long time, yeah. Twenty fourteen was the last time we won a series in Oakland. So if if uh, if they can take this series, it'd be a great way to, for them to start the second half of the season. I just I'm just a little nervous that they are. It's it's already out of reach for the division. It's already like well that ship sailed. No, it's I, and it's not. Listen, teams teams have, teams have come back from, but like barring major injury, do you see the White Sox just falling off the face of the earth? Probably not. I don't know. I don't know. Yerman Mercedes just announced his retirement. No, he didn't. Yeah, but he got sent to the minors. Uh, I think um, Luis. He did announce his retirement. Luis Roberts coming back in a couple weeks. So that's another addition for them. Yeah. 
your mean Mercedes on Instagram said it's over, but like, okay. Your mean Mercedes pulled the most vicious Tyler Naquin I've ever seen. The dude hit 700 home runs the first week of the season. And then he was awful. Yeah. Like he was terrible. They sent him, they sent him to the minors. Sure. Like, uh, okay. You're mean. You weren't like a building block. You were a surprise. Uh, uh, anyways. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what the Indians can do. Uh, get ready for a long back end of the season filled with, your text messages or your phone blowing up with Shohei Otani hit a single through the hole. Check it out here on ESPN.com or Fernando Tatis made an error, but then stepped on the base to get an out. Check so we're out seeing that could happen at baseball the second like, half of the season. If there's a battle for the home run crown, because you will get an update anytime anyone in the top three hits a home run. I was Fernando. so I, Fernando Tatis flips his bat into the crowd, hits a baby, but it's a home. But the run. second you turn off the notifications, <laughs> the second you don't see Shane Bieber gets traded to like the Mets or some shit like that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Check it out on the Athletic. Uh, <laughs> no, listen. I was ta- I was talking about this. I went golfing last weekend too, and I was talking about this with the guy I went golfing with. Baseball is so bad at promoting their stars that the way they promote their stars makes me hate their yeah. stars. Like I don't hate Shohei Otani. No, right? How could you, dude? From all accounts and purposes, right? He got 150 grand uh, over the All Star break to be in the Derby. He donated the whole thing. He took 30 Angels employees and gave them five grand apiece. Great story. Like, yeah. By all accounts and purposes, good dude. But it makes me. I don't want to root for him because I don't care that he hits a home run. Like, I don't need a notification on my phone when he hits his 28th home run of the year. Yeah, they need a different approach. Or like, I, I, I said, I said before. I think I said it on here before. When when it erupted, check out this throw that Fernando Tatis Jr. made to gun a runner down at home. And then I watched it and I was like, John McDonald would have made that throw. John McDonald <laughs> would have made that same John, throw. Like, what are we talking John about? McDonald. Why do I need that? Oh, what a pull. It makes me not John, like him. John McDonald gave me my first right. baseball from an Indians game. <laughs> he was, I think he was baseball? cleaning up like the sweets or something. I think it was after BP and he's cleaning up balls from the sweets and threw one over. <laughs> yes. There you it. go. I don't know. They got to figure it out. But again, the Indians are playing. Anyways, we can Wait, be done. Did you get a, oh, well, never mind. Never mind. You what? like, I don't know, traded baseballs with Joe Carter. I was about to ask, like, where did you guys get your first baseballs from? Oh, I, I, like from pro, but, I like that. I like that. That's a good question, though. Of course. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, the first first one that I got, like not during the game, but at a game, was John McDonald. And the second one was uh, I might have said this before on the podcast, but Vladimir Guerrero hitting a ground ball down the first base side, and I got it. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Nice. What about you, Jen? Uh, well, mine came in uh, warmups. Uh, I was, I want to say, fifteen years old. 15 years old, I was standing down by, because you know how they open up progressive field early, and then if, if you want to get uh, autographs, you stand down by the dugout, like off to the side of the dugout. And uh, Manny came out. Manny Ramirez came out. And he, uh, I, I swear to God, to this day, I swear to God, like he made eye contact with me. He had a ball, and everybody was like, give me a ball, Manny, give me a ball. He threw it right at me. I reached my hand out, and I caught it with one hand. Dude. And I reached it back in and like, uh, so Mandy Ramirez threw me my first, so uh, cool. first baseball that I ever got. Yeah. All right. So I've, I've got, I can remember my first foul ball I ever got. Uh, mm-hmm. And we used to sit, so we had season tickets at municipal stadium front row of the upper deck, right behind home plate. So like on mm-hmm. top of the press box, 
Yeah. And actually the way the press box was set up, the press box actually kind of jutted out a little bit from our seats. Yeah. So there was, there was a spot in front of us and I'll never, I don't remember who hit it, but the ball came up. I was young. The ball came up and I'll remember it. It, it hit the top of the press box, bounced into the like little fencing in front of us and then just died right in front of us. And I nice. just like reached over and huh. picked up the ball. And that was my first foul ball. Nice. Uh, however, back in those days too, I don't remember what year it was. I'll have to look this up. The Indians did like a, you guys remember when the, the uh, Cavaliers hosted the um, all-star game in 97 and they did the top 50 uh, NBA players of all time. And they had them all there. Probably really in the cool. hospital. No. Yeah. Fair. The Indians did something similar and maybe like 93, 92, something like that at the old municipal stadium. And they did like mm-hmm. the top 50 Indians of all time. Yeah. And, uh, and like you said, Chad, I used to, I used to know a couple of the players that used to let me in the locker room and they would give me balls. Well, one of them took a ball out while they introduced all the players and they had them all sign it. So Bob Feller, Mel Harder, Lou Boudreau, Larry Doby, like all these Joe Charbonneau was on that list. Like all these greatest Indians of all time that were actually alive and there signed a yeah. ball and I have it. That's awesome. Nice. And that's, that's awesome. That is the coolest like from when I was a kid, like my my thing of memorabilia that I still have now is like this authentically signed ball from all these guys that 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 they brought to me. I now that I'm in a, like as a kid, I was like, oh, whatever. As an adult, yeah. oh, you should go up. Uh, oh, in, yeah. in, uh, it should be in Baddie's room upstairs in the house you're staying in right now. Uh, I got a ball. I think it was a ninety nine or ninety eight. Indians. It was like before a game, and I don't know how, but we were in the dugout for the game. And I was like five years old, six years old, and I got everyone in the dugout to sign the baseball. Yeah, yes. Charlie Nagy, awesome. Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomey, Omar Vizquel, cool. all the fun guys. That's awesome. Yeah, listen, for me, it was a blessing and a curse going into the locker room because I was young, and so there was no filter on like how to act or talk <laughs> to people. Right. Right. So like. For the most part, it was great. Joe Carter and I were like buddies and Corey Snyder, who um, I've reached out to for the show. So we could see if that ever happens. Uh, <laughs> Tom Candiotti, a lot of those old ball players. Well, there were also you've brought up actually, Chad, Alex Cole. The dude was great. We we were buds. Yeah. I mean, Alex oh, Cole. Uh, but I didn't all the players. I don't think like me, you know, like the old show kids say the darndest things. Yeah, sure. I will never forget this as long as I live. The Indians had a catcher named Andy Allenson. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And he sucked real bad. Horrible. Uh, no offense to you, Andy Allenson. It was what it was. No offense. However, because he as, was terrible. As a kid, as a kid, I met Andy Allenson. <laughs> and he came out and he was like, he was like, oh, Mike. Oh, the guys told me about you. It's nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And I looked up at Andy Allenson and I said, my dad says you're a stiff. <laughs> <laughs> and he just looked at me like, Ugh. and he oh, just kind of, he was like, Oh, no big deal. Ha ha ha. Laughed it off and walked away. And he probably like, was like, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Like Can you imagine hey, some kids in the team. <laughs> My yeah. dad says you're a stiff. <laughs> That's funny. So shout out to Andy yeah. Ellenson. Yeah, the Manny Ramirez story is much better than my first foul ball. It was just at an Akron Arrows game. I caught one down the third baseline. Like that, he had a ground ball foul. I scooped it up pretty much. I, I faked the throw to first, and that was about it. Scoop. All right. I did. I gave it the scoop, faked the throw to first. I love it. 
All right, boys. Well, uh, Indians are already giving away their lead. The Astros just scored, so it's four to three Indians now. We'll see what happens. But again, uh, that's going to do it for us. Episode 74 here. Uh, first of all, before we get out of here, garagebeershop.com. I got the shirt on right now. Joe was wearing the hat earlier. Uh, uh, you, bet your, you bet your ass I'll be wearing the shirt and the hat down in Columbus this weekend uh, by all the Blue Jackets fans. But garagebeershop.com. Get over there. Get a shirt. Get a hat. Uh, if we don't have your size, we're going to get it back in. So don't worry about that. But get over there. I'll get it out in the mail to you ASAP. Uh, as always, we give out our thank yous first. Uh, thank you to uh, Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Uh, we always appreciate being brought to you on the podcast network. Huge thank you goes out to our guest, Mark Latestu, player development coach now for the Columbus Blue Jackets. You can catch him at Nationwide Arena on Friday for the draft party. Go say hi to Mark. Get an autograph. And uh, I don't give him your give him your coaching advice because, you know, he's new to this. and I'm sure he would take that. Uh, But we really, really appreciate Mark coming on with us. And as always, our biggest thank you goes out to you, the listener. We appreciate you. If you want to watch the interview, get over to our YouTube channel. It will be posted there. You'll be able to see our interview with Mark Latestu in the woods with Wi-Fi. Uh, uh, But it was a great time. So. Uh, great job for all of them. Thank you to all of them and to you, the listener. And before we get out of here, of course, we got our one last thing we got to do. It's our three cheers of the week. So let's send it around and end it on that note. You know what? I'm going to start because I never do. Okay. My cheer right. of the week, Chad, there's a lot of cheers to go this week. I feel like I should cheer Giannis because I was kind of a okay. dick talking about him before, but I didn't. And, and I feel like I made up. I, I could cheer a lot of things, but you know what, Chad, I'm just cheersing you, dude. It's your birthday week. Uh, you're yeah, another year go. older. Uh, this let's show this show doesn't exist without Chad Garage Beers. Chad, I mean, uh, let's go. Should we, should we just three cheers do. to Chad? I mean, just hold on, Joey. What are you doing? Are you like sending SOS signals? Like, what, like why? Why are you flashing like a? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I just found a flashlight in my drawer. Wait a minute. Do you see how quickly Joe is like, should we three cheers, Chad? Because the last time I tried to three cheer something, it was like the troops on Memorial Day. And Joe's like, yeah, but also nope. I want to cheers a baseball thing. I say like, oh, I had something. What are you going to do? And then he cheers the troops. And you're like, no, Joe, you go ahead now. And I was like, oh, shit, man. I wasn't, I, I wasn't ready for that. Joe's over here stepping on the troops. I wasn't stepping uh, on troops. Yeah, you know what? You know what? I think, oh, cool. The Astros just tied it up. Uh, you know what? I think, uh, I think Joe, that's a good idea. I'm not going to even let you guys do your cheers of the week. We're just going to do, oh. three, we're just going to do three cheers to Chad for his birthday. I have a good one. I have a good it, one. No. I, okay. Chad. Why ruin our cheers to you? Ruin our cheers to you. What do you got? You guys can cheers me. Let's cheers me. And then let's go to me. Right. Cheers, cheers Chad. to you, Chad. Now here's Chad. <laughs> I would like to cheers uh, a Japanese betting company, Airweave, and uh, the general manager of the Athletes Village uh, for making the Olympic athletes bed out of cardboard oh so, my God. Uh, to avoid intimacy issues. And the reason why I'm cheersing that is now when these Olympic athletes want to do sex, they have to get adventurous. <laughs> They have to get adventurous in how they want to do sex. So cheers to you for, uh, you know, allowing people to explore. Yeah. There we go. 
God, God forbid we can just cheer Chad on his birthday. We also have to cheers sexless cardboard beds. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I mean, like they really think that's going to prevent anything. That's so Holy Jesus. That's so All right, boys. I mean, I mean, Olympic athletes have a long history of just hooking up. So, uh, yeah, like that's going to prevent anything. You know what? I appreciate you getting us out on that note. So cheers to you. Cheers to sexist <laughs> cardboard to bed. Those two things. Those two things are synonymous. They go together. Chad and sexless cardboard beds. It is a perfect <laughs> match. We're getting out of here. Thank you again to everybody that listened. That has been episode 74. Speaking of the Olympics, little preview for episode 75. Our guest next week is going to be coming to you from Tokyo, from the Olympics with an Olympic check-in. So, Check that one out on episode 75. But for the guys here, for Joey Eckerodge Beers, Joe, for Chad Eckerodge Beers, Chad, I am Mike Eckerodge Beers. Mike, go check out the show at The Garage Beers. We are out of here. Episode 74 is in the books. We'll see you next week. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.